Chari. Prem Shri Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhupada Shri Doyati Gadara Shri Vasari Gaur Bhaktivinda Ki Jai. Shri Shri Vada Krishna Gopina Shaiva Kunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhan Ki Jai. Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai, Mitur Dhamma Ki Jai, Nandajit Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai, Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai. Gangame Jaruna Devi Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Tulsi Marani Ki Jai, Samaveta Bhaktivinda Ki Jai. Gaur Premanandi. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. Shri Guru, Shri Tapadakamala, Shri Guru, Vaishnavam, Shri Rupam, Sagrajatam, Sahagana, Raganatam, Bitans, Tam Sajivam, Sadvaitam, Sadvaitam, Parijana, Sahita, Krishna Chaitanya Devam, Shri Radha, Krishna, Padam, Sahagana, Ravita, Shri Vishakam, Tamscha, Manchkapati, Vishaki, Vishnavata, Pitanam, Pavani, Vaishnavata. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Vasudevaya October 21st, 2020, giving class in Hawaii over the internet and we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 22, Text 56. Namajayam Somaraja Iva Paraha Suryavad Vishrijam Grinan Patapamscha Buvasu Raja the King Iti Thus, Adat took up Namajam Namajam of the name Somarajaha, the king of the moon planet, Eva, like. Aparaha, on the other hand, Suryavat, like the sun god, Visrijan, distributing, Grinan, exacting, Patapan, by strong ruling, Cha, also, Bhuvaha, of the world, Vasu, revenue. Srila Prabhupada's translation. Maharaj Prithu became as celebrated a king as Soma Raja, the king of the moon. He was also powerful and exacting, just like the sun god who distributes heat and light and at the same time exacts all the planetary waters. Srila Prabhupada's purport. In this verse, Maharaj Prithu is compared to the kings of the moon and the sun. The king of the moon and the king of the sun serve as examples of how the Lord desires the universe to be ruled. The sun distributes heat and light and at the same time exacts water from all planets. The moon is very pleasing at night and when one becomes fatigued after a day's labor in the sun, 
he can enjoy the moonshine. Like the sun god, Prithu Maharaj distributed his heat and light to give protection to his kingdom. For without heat and light, no one can exist. Similarly, Prithu Maharaj exacted taxes and gave such strong orders to the citizens and government that no one had the power to disobey him. On the other hand, he pleased everyone just like the moonshine. Both the sun and the moon have particular influences by which they maintain order in the universe, and modern scientists and philosophers should become familiar with the Supreme Lord's perfect plan for universal maintenance. Rajetya jam namadheyam somaraja iva paraha suryavad visrajangrinan pratam Pratapamscha Bhuvo Vasu. Maharaj Prithu became as celebrated a king as Somaraja, the king of the moon. He was also powerful and exacting, just like the sun god, who distributes heat and light and at the same time exacts all the planetary waters. So here Maharaj Prithu is explained as the perfect ruler in comparison to the sun and the moon. Now, as we know, the Bhagavatam describes that all of the kings on this earth originally come from the dynasties of the sun and the moon. There's a lot of the Bhagavatam dedicated to delineating these dynasties coming from the sun god and the moon god. But here in this particular purport, Srila Prabhupada is not talking about the personalities of the sun god and the moon god and how they uh, serve as perfect rulers in terms of those of the gods <laughs> of the of the uh, devas and of course the sun god is not an ordinary deva he's surya narayana so he's an uh, incarnation of the lord when we chant the brahma gayatri one possible deity of the mantra is surya narayana but here we're not speaking like that and we're not speaking about the most celebrated persons in the dynasty of the sun and the moon, which is Lord Ramachandra in the dynasty of the sun and Lord Chi Krishna in the dynasty of the moon. But here we're talking about the planets as planets. Like Prabhupada, we'll talk about an um, analogy to Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan, that Brahman is like the sunshine, Paramatma is like the sun planet, and a Bhagavan is like the sun god. But here we're talking about the actions of the planets, which of course have something to do with the actions of the gods of those planets, but still. And this comparison uh, that Prabhupada's making, uh, again in the, in the verse itself, Somaraja, the king of the moon, Suryavat, the sun god, but here in the purport, Srila Prabhupada's not talking about those personalities, he's talking about the planets and the influence of the planets and showing us what is a perfect ruler. Now, having this way of showing what a perfect ruler is, as Srila Prabhupada is saying here, the Lord's perfect plan for universal maintenance, that we can see the Lord's perfect plan, is significant. By looking at nature, we can see the Lord's perfect plan. Let's look first at the sun, and then at the moon, and then at the Lord's perfect plan for good rulership, for those of you listening in the United States, uh, this verse is perhaps especially uh, relevant as we are coming up to an election. We already have voting, 
And uh, like here in North Carolina, that is the list of people I can vote for in North Carolina. So I can vote for the president, vice president, the person in the federal House of Representatives. I can vote for my state representative, my state senator, the governor of my state, the lieutenant governor of my state, the attorney general of my state, secretary of state for my state, the treasurer of my state, superintendent of public education, the state auditor, the commissioner of agriculture, the commissioner of labor, and the commissioner of insurance. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a commissioner of insurance, so I got a little educated there. So we have all these votes that we can have for the people governing our uh, place, our town, our county, our state, our uh, the whole, you know, we talk about state like a province, and then the whole country. And in order to do that, we have to know what a perfect ruler is. Uh, Srila Prabhupada would often say that the main problem with electing rulers by vote is that the people in general don't know what a good ruler should be. They, it's just like um, I wanted to get a gift for one of my granddaughters, so she graduated in May, did a duo program where she graduated from high school and what's called an associate's degree at the same time. So I wanted to give her a graduation present and I was thinking to give her some opal jewelry because we had traveled around the world together. And especially she liked being in Australia, so the opal is the uh, semi-precious gem of Australia. And I found that a lot of uh, opal jewelry is created opals. So in other words, that someone goes into a laboratory and they combine together different elements and they make something that looks like an opal, but it's not really. It's something that's created by human beings in the laboratory. And then there's also what's called a doublet and a triplet. So with a doublet, you have a really thin layer of some black material. It could be a black rock of some kind, or it could be a piece of black plastic. Then you put this thin layer of real opal on top of the black, and that's a doublet. Then if you put another layer of something on top, usually it's a dome shape. Uh, it could be, again, glass, or it could be quartz or something like that. That's called a triplet. So it looks like you have a whole dome of opal, but actually it's not, right? And if you don't know what you're looking for, you can say, oh, I'm going to get some opals. And instead you end up getting something made in a laboratory, or you end up getting something with a thin layer, or just like uh, if you get pearls. So it used to be in the world that all the pearls were just grown inside of oysters naturally, of course, the Shastras talk about pearls on the heads of elephants and on the heads of snakes. I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows how to do that anymore. But uh, it used to be like that. And the pearl divers would go and, and find these genuine pearls. And then Japan started making what's called cultured pearls. So they would keep a bunch of oysters in a some kind of a box. And they would put something inside the oyster... And the oyster would put nacre over the, this thing, and then they'd pull it out. So just a thin coating. Often they just take a plastic bead and stick it inside the oyster, and the oyster covers it with nacre, and then they, they say that that's a pearl. And basically in the world today, it's very, very difficult to find genuine pearls. Most pearls are cultured pearls. Now, if you go to Bahrain, they have a law in Bahrain 
that you cannot bring any cultured pearls into the country. They only sell natural pearls, one of the main things that they do. But it's very difficult to tell the difference between a cultured pearl and a natural pearl. In fact, you can only absolutely find the difference with an x-ray. And, you know, we can think of so many things like this with gemstones, right, where people sell cubic zirconia instead of diamonds, or even cut glass instead of diamonds. Of course, there's man-made diamonds now, man-made rubies, man-made sapphires. And then even the natural stones, they often heat treat them and they do all kinds of weird things to them. And the, all of these gemstones have power. They all originally have power. So we read in the, in the, in the fourth canto, we read about Dhruva Maharaj, that before he boards the airplane to go to Vaikuntha, he adorns himself with precious jewels. And Prabhupada said, we can't do that in Kali Yuga, so we just wear tilak. <laughs> But the point is that uh, these things have power, and if we don't understand their power and we don't understand how to recognize them, then we may end up with something that's powerless. We may end up with something that's a cheap imitation that can do nothing. Or, you know, if we don't know how to recognize something, we may end up with something that either ha not just doesn't have any power but is harmful, like a lot of the, we were talking in the temple classes here in the morning about fake food. We're reading in the 10th canto, 20th chapter, about the description of the rainy season in autumn. And there's a number of descriptions about food, because it's about the harvest season. And so there's so much fake food. Just like the, they can go in the laboratory and make a fake jewel, so they can go in the laboratory and make fake food. And it looks like it's a potato chip, but it's not. It probably has you know 2% potato in it. You know, whatever... Whatever it, it's, uh, it appears to be is something different from what it really is. Yes? So if you don't know how to discern what is a real and what is not real, then we may end up being cheated. And pe people are eating this food, uh, so-called food, thinking, oh, I'm getting nourished, and it, it's actually harming them. There's so much evidence that, like these sugar substitutes, right? That they take these sugar substitutes thinking they won't get fat and instead, you know, they get cancer. So we have a similar situation in trying to vote for a ruler. You know, in former times there was also often voting, but it was voting by the brahmanas or by the uh, other members of the ksatriyas. Now the question was asked when Dasarath wanted to install Ram on the throne. So he asked his ministers and he asked his advisors, do you accept my choice? It, it wasn't a general voting of the people who are, are not educated. You, know, you can't, it's just like, you can't just go to a random group of people, you know, just go to some Walmart or something and, and get a random group of people and ask them to evaluate an opal. You know, it's just a rock. <laughs> How are you going to go to a random group of people and ask them to evaluate a ruler? You know, they're not going to be able to. They're not going to understand what is a good ruler. And the result of that is that we get bad rulers. You know, I mean, it, it's really interesting. Even people I know that are... Uh, in favor of, of our current president, Donald Trump, they'll all say, well, he's a terrible person. 
I haven't met anyone who says he's a nice person. They'll say, oh, he's a terrible person, but at least he's working against this or that, or at least he's working for this or that. And, you know, it's, we really don't have good people. It's not that anyone's looking at the, you know, leaders of so many countries of the world and saying, oh, yes, this is the kind of person we want to run our country. In most cases, that isn't, that isn't happening. Or these elections, I mean, when I was looking up who to vote for in North Carolina, and I looked at the, the candidates for commissioner of agriculture, and like that, they're just both demons. They're just, you know, let's kill more pigs, you know. I'm like, oh my God. They're, this is often the case. And people will admit that. They'll say that it's, it's, all, it's all garbage. So here in the Bhagavatam, the Bhagavatam is not just about, and I make this point a lot, the Bhagavatam is not just about transcendence. It's not just about, you know, you chant Om and you see that you are not this body and you have nothing of this world and you're just you're chanting in some cave in the Himalayas and you realize spirit everywhere. You take a vow of silence. What did Paragmar say? He's not interested in the people who do that. I mean, there are bona fide Vaishnavas who do that. But Paragmar said, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in helping the people of the world. And Lord Brahma, of course, Lord Brahma, particularly that's his job. But he says, I'm concerned for the fools and rascals of the world. I'm, I'm concerned for the people of the world. So a tremendous amount of the Srimad Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita, we could say right now, in Bhakti Shastri classes, we're teaching Bhagavad Gita. Right now we're teaching uh, chapters 1 and 2. We could say that the Bhagavad Gita is all about how transcendence translates into practical affairs of the world. The whole Bhagavad Gita is about having good government. That's what it's about. You know, Duryodhan did this and that good thing, but because he was opposed to the Lord, he had to be removed. So, let's look at some of the description here of good rulers. And this is... It's very general. There's many other descriptions in the Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita that are, are more specificity. But looking here at some of the descriptions. Uh, so, it's, it, again, it's interesting. Prabhupada starts out that Maharaj Pritchard was compared to the kings of the moon and the sun. That the kings of the moon and the sun serve as examples. But then Prabhupada's talking about, again, the actions of the planets themselves. He says, the sun distributes heat and light and at the same time exacts water from all planets. Right? So gives heat and light. Prabhupada's saying that without heat and light, no one can live. Similarly, Prithimaraj exacted taxes and gave such strong orders to the citizens and government that no one had the power to disobey him. So what is the sun? It's giving heat and it's giving light. So let's look at heat. So all of us associate heat with life. Yes, something that's alive, uh, generally speaking, has warmth. Yes, of course, there are some cold-blooded creatures that are absorbing their warmth from the atmosphere. <laughs> uh, but something that's alive has some warmth. We associate warmth with love. I mean, from the time we're an infant and we're being held in the arm of our parent, of our 
whatever, other relatives who love us, and we feel the warmth of their body. So this giving of warmth is something that's very much associated with life and love. Krishna says, I am the heat of the sun. I am the heat of the sun. So we can feel the warmth in our own bodies. A lot of, what is it, 80% of the digestion of warm-blooded creatures is to produce heat. It's what allows, having the proper temperature allows everything to go smoothly. In fact, after air, having proper temperature is the most important physiological function. Right? We can go for water for quite some time. We can go without food for a long time. Uh, we can, you know, people can be imprisoned so that they have very little facility for movement. But we certainly can't survive very long without a, a narrow range of temperatures. That's even more true for cold-blooded creatures. And, of course, each species has its particular temperature that it thrives in. So some species of plants and animals and so forth uh, survive in their ideal temperature is colder or their ideal temperature is warmer. And if you put the living being in the wrong temperature, then they can't survive or certainly they can't thrive. Now we human beings are able to survive and thrive in a very large range by manipulating our environment. So a lot of the reason we wear clothing is to regulate our bodily temperature. And then, of course, we have our buildings and our heating systems and our cooling systems and, and so forth. But it's a very important function. So this giving of heat, this giving of the proper temperature. And not only is, is the sun giving heat, which is providing life itself, but we humans also use heat to cook. So I believe we're the only species that cooks our food. Uh, cooking the food is, is a kind of digestion, isn't it? Because Krishna says, I'm the fire of digestion, that chemical fire that cooks our food. So whatever we are burning in order to produce the heat of cooking originally comes from the sun. You know, if we're burning wood, so the wood pulled the heat of the sun in through photosynthesis. If we're burning fossil fuels, that was all originally plants, right? If we're burning any of the things that we're burning, even if we're using electricity, uh, if the electricity, wherever it's coming from, electricity is coming from cold, coal, or if it's coming from uh, wind power, the sun is responsible for the different currents. Uh, even if we're using hydroelectric power, it's the sun that is exacting the water, as Prabhupada mentions here, and then bringing down the rain, which is what's causing hydroelectric power. So all of that heat is coming from the sun to allow us to cook our food. And then, of course, we also use heat for yagya, so there's many ways of yajna or ceremonies for connecting with the divine, and one of the primary ones has always been fire. So if you look at you know, every society in the world, fire is used as part of divine or spiritual ceremonies. People will light candles, they'll light incense, they'll actually have a sacrifice with fire. So there, there's some kind of uh, fire and burning that's going on. Uh, we could speak quite a lot more about, about heat. Um, and then with light, it's giving light. And enlightenment, we have this, this word in English. But the concept of light being connected with enlightenment is there in the Vedas itself. You know, open my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. 
to be able to see things as they are. That this concept of light and seeing is very connected with knowledge. So not just life. We have the warmth that's connected with life and we have the light that's connected with knowledge and understanding, being able to see things in the proper perspective. Uh, also, light is very much associated with festivity, with, again, not just ceremonies where light is used. All religions, again, use light in ceremonies, but with some kind of festival. We very much use lights in festivals. You know, there's the we're coming up now to the Diwali, Deepawali Festival, a festival of lights, but you know we're also coming up to Christmas, which is a big festival of lights. And in, in every society, there's some kind of decoration of light. Light is about welcoming light. Light is about uh, functioning. So the sun is giving this heat and light. Uh, we could say that it's giving you know the basic means for living in the world and also the basic means for connecting with the divine. So this is what a good ruler does. Like Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, they provide everything for living happily and attaining liberation. So a good ruler makes sure that everybody has what they need to live. They have uh, clean water, they have good healthy food, they have natural fibers, they have even natural gems, we're talking about gemstones, they have natural uh, gems for their healing power, they have good natural medicines, they have facility for loving relationships between each other, right? they have ways that they can earn their livelihood and get their food and cook their food, and they also have uh, enlightenment. They have material knowledge and they have spiritual knowledge, so they have enlightenment. And they have regular ceremonies of connection with the divine. They have religion and spirituality, that it's not just a material arrangement, but also a spiritual arrangement. And we don't find that the modern rulers are particularly good at this. We find the modern rulers talk about these things, and the modern rulers say that they're going to make sure to provide for the citizens, but often they're interested just in their own personal aggrandizement, as Prabhupada would say, and lining their own pockets. Now, it's not that the rulers are supposed to give all the supplies to people on the planet without them working, you know, like parents will do for a young child. But it's also the responsibility of the government to engage people in their natural work, in their natural propensities, as part of the whole social body. So that there's an arrangement, right, just like one of the devotees here, we're taking care of Tulsi, and one of the devotees asked me, you know, could I arrange for potting soil? And I said, well, can you arrange for potting soil? It's, it's your job. You know, can you go to the treasurer and can you get somebody who has a car and, and take care of it? So this is also what, what good teachers do, what good parents do. They say, you have to take the responsibility. You have to work. As Krishna says, no one can maintain their physical body without work. So the sun engages, engages us in work. The sun rises and people start their daily activities. So although the sun is producing the means by which plants can grow, and producing all of the things that we need, uh, still to access them, we have to engage in some kind of work. Uh, so the sun is doing that. And Prabhupada is also talking about here how the sun uh, cannot be disobeyed. Right? A good ruler cannot be disobeyed. So they're protecting and providing everything, but also they have some strength in the government. That we, This is a repeated theme, and of course a theme very much related 
Tumar Ashpritu, uh, that the government should be strong against thieves and rogues and not themselves be a thief and a rogue. So we have the interesting situation that King Vena, he was very good at preventing other thieves and rogues because he was a very harsh leader, but he himself was criminal. He himself was opposed to the Lord. He himself was criminal. So we don't want a ruler like Vena. We don't want a ruler, you know, like a mafia boss. So in some places, there'll be criminals who will say, you know, you pay us money, extortion, you pay us money every month, and otherwise we're going to burn down your business. And if you pay us money every month, then we'll protect your business from other criminals. I'm sure you're all familiar with that. So instead of the police force, the criminals are saying, you know, it's the police force, we're supposed to pay taxes for them to correct, to protect us from criminals. But the police, I suppose they do it too, in a sense. They say, if you don't, if you don't pay your taxes, we may arrest you. But the idea of, the, of organized crime is they'll say, you pay us money, and that way we'll protect you from other criminals. And if you don't pay us the money, we'll be the criminals. So the government's not supposed to be like that. That's like King Vena. The government is supposed to be like Pritu, where they themselves are very honorable. You know, where they're not using the government to line their own pockets. You know, saying, oh yes, we'll take care of you. And then not taking care of the citizens because they're in league with the, with the criminals. They've made agreements, you know, we have governments that make agreements with pharmaceutical companies that make fake and, and harmful medicine, and they make agreements with the companies that make fake and harmful food. You know, the, the government is, is, is making money from the companies that are polluting the air and the water and the land. So the government, instead of providing for people's health and providing for people's protection, is actually in cahoots with the people who are harming us, and often they are directly managing uh, such businesses to harm us. So we want rulers who are going to be strong against criminals without themselves being a criminal. And, and that seems to be a very tricky dance in, in 2020. You know, it seems to be a real problem to find a leader who themselves is not, <laughs> is not doing the very things they plan to protect us from. You know, it's, it's kind of like having... Uh, if someone has an abusive husband, you know, so the abusive husband, maybe they protect the wife and the children from other people. You know, maybe they protect the wife and the children from criminals and they protect the wife and the children from being exploited and, and harmed by others. But then the abusive husband himself is harming the wife. He's, you know, so he's, he, he's protecting his wife from from thieves and rogues entering the house and beating her up, but he's beating her up. So that's not, that's not, uh, that's not a good ruler. A good ruler is someone who's protective and so strong that nobody would think of disobeying. And yet, very gentle. And this is the Dirodata principle. The Dirodata principle is somebody who's a real hero. You know, we're talking about Ramachandra and Krishna, a real hero. Krishna was a Dirodhata when he lifted Govardhan Hill. But Ramachandra was like that. You know, someone who's a hero and nobody would think 
of, of disobeying, but also very kind and very soft to those who are obedient citizens. And then we have Ir Prabhupada saying the sun is extracting the water. So the sun is responsible for the water cycle, pulling up the water and again pouring the rain, purifying the water cycle is a natural purifying and cleansing system. So the salt in the ocean is preserving the water. Water does go bad eventually. Uh, those of you in Hawaii, you may know that the reason that there are mosquitoes in Hawaii is that when Captain Cook came to the islands, they emptied out their old water and they refilled their water tanks. And because their old water had mosquito larvae in it, they brought mosquitoes to Hawaii. So uh, water does go bad eventually. Fresh water goes bad eventually. And so the salt in the salty ocean is a preservative for the water, but we can't drink it. So the sun is keeping the water preserved, but when we need it, pulls out water for our drinking and bathing and so forth, and then pours it down on the earth. And then, of course, it goes through the earth. It trickles through the rocks and the soil to purify it even more. It goes into the aquifers, and we can pull it out and, and from a well, or it goes into the rivers, and as it's coming down, again, it's becoming purified in that process of coming down, or it can come out as a spring. And in so many ways, the water becomes purified, and then again, it, it's, it's going through this natural cycle. And if we live a natural life, and we're not pouring all kinds of harmful chemicals into the water, then we always have enough water for our purposes. It's, it's kind of like if someone's keeping a bank account, you know, the salty ocean would be like a bank account, and then whenever you need it, you get water. So a good ruler also does this. A good ruler is extracting taxes from the people and then redistributing that as needed. And people may earn money in ways that are not so honest all the time or whatever. This is nice explained in the part of the Bhagavatam about the Indra Yagya. And so the, the, the money that we have, there may be something irregular about it, and the government is supposed to purify that. The government is supposed to use the money in yagya, use the money in ceremonies for connection with the divine, and therefore everyone's tax money is going for that. Just like there was a, a big discussion about abortion in terms of whether or not uh, women could get abortions that it, that's paid for by tax money. And people were saying, you know, if people get abortions, they should have to pay for them themselves, that we don't want our tax money supporting something like this. Because everybody can understand that if my tax money is supporting something, then I'm also responsible. And that works in a good way, too, if the government is using this, this tax money for yegya. So this is the concept of the rain. So that's all with the sun. And here with the sun, we've talked about, you know, working hard, being in one's occupation, and so forth. But that's not all life is. All work and no play make Jack a dull boy, as they say. And Krishna says one should be temperate in one's habits of eating, sleeping, working, and recreation. So we have also a need for recreation, for peace. The natural world goes in cycles of day and night and up and down. All energies have to go like that. And therefore it's also required for us to take breaks from working hard. And as Prabhupada uh, is saying here, right, the moon is very pleasing at night when one becomes fatigued after a day's labor in the sun, he can enjoy the moonshine. So a good king is also like the moon that gives relief to people. 
that allows people to rest, that allows people to regenerate themselves, uh, to have entertainment, to make sure that the entertainment in the society is uplifting. I mean, we've talked about, you know, polluted gems and polluted food, but there's also polluted entertainment. So in, in a good society, I remember when I visited Manipur, there was a drama, dance drama, incredible, about the Manipur government, but it was all connected with Krishna. It was amazing, amazing. So that the government should provide for relief for the citizens in ways that will uplift them. So this is beautiful parks and clear reservoirs of water with swans and lotuses, uh, music and drama and art that are going to be uplifting to people, uh, libraries that will be uplifting to people. So there's, there should be all ways of being relieved from one's fatigue that, to recoup one's energy. Right? If we're resting all the time, we become weak, and if we're working all the time, we become weak. There has to be work and recovery, work and recovery, work and recovery, work and recovery. And a proper government provides for both. Uh, very pleasing and, and beautiful. The moon is very beautiful. I mean, I suppose we talk about the beauty of a bright sunlit sky as well, but particularly we enjoy the beauty of the moon. Yes? So a government, a good government provides for beauty in society. We're talking about art and music and drama, um, parks. Yes, that society should be beautiful, not just that it's working, not just utilitarian. You know, not just that everything looks like some kind of warehouse. And we have in ancient societies, the buildings were works of art. Literally, the buildings themselves were works of art. And, but they were works of art that fit in with the climate and the culture of the place. Right? Everything was harmonious with nature. So this is, these are some of the qualities of a good ruler. Now the final thing we want to end with is just Prabhupada saying modern scientists and philosophers should become familiar with the Supreme Lord's perfect plan for universal maintenance. So I'd like to remark on the fact that Srila Prabhupada will sometimes use as an equivalent statement the laws of God and the laws of nature. There's a lot we can understand about the will of the Lord, the Lord's perfect plan, by looking at nature. There was one doctor who said that if our, I quoted this before, if our ideology isn't in line with biology, there's something wrong with our ideology we can understand a lot of the Lord's perfect plan by looking at nature. The laws of nature. How does nature operate? So I got an email yesterday from one of the leading preachers in the movement that uh, a section he was reading from Prabhupada's books in one of his classes, Srila Prabhupada was writing about early marriage. And one of the members of the, one of the participants was shocked. Now, why would Prabhupada recommend early marriage? And the purple was particularly talking about women. But I said, it wasn't that long ago, you know, you look 150 years ago, there was early marriage for both men and women. It wasn't just women. It wasn't the concept that you married a 12-year-old girl to a 60-year-old man. That wasn't what was going on. I mean, sometimes that happened, but that was a rare exception, like with Chaivana Muni. But we have 
you know, Gandhi got married at 13, Lord Chaitanya got married at 14, Bhakti Vinod Thakur got married at 14. So the concept that people were to get married as soon as their bodies were mature enough to reproduce is in sync with the laws of nature. That's, that's laws of nature. That's how they act for every species on the planet. And I was writing to this preacher and saying, it's not that people in modern society are all celibate when they're 13, 14, 15. That, that's not what's going on. It's just that in modern society, we think it's fine for people to be sexually active if they're not married when they're young. But it's not fine for them to be married when they're young. So we have, you know, some, some system that's not in harmony with the laws of nature, with how nature and biology work. So our, our laws, our standards, our behavior should be... Of course, I don't think people should get married young in 2020 because we don't have extended family, we don't have the support system in line in order for people to have a job today, a decent job. They have to stay in school until they're 20 or 25. So we've set up many other uh, problems that make it very hard to work with nature. But my point is that a society that works with nature is a society that's going to be following the plan of the Lord. We can understand the plan of the Lord by looking at nature. It, what's a good ruler? Or what does the sun do? Or what does the moon do? They're the rulers of the universe. Human rulers should follow their example. You know, Prabhupada remarks that even without an education, a person by looking at nature can understand a lot of the will of God. We have the 11th canto of the Bhagavatam, the natural gurus that we see within nature. It's God's nature. It's just reading today in the 7th canto where Prahlad Maharaj is talking about the universe as the body of God. And Prabhupada says one who realizes this is not in the material world. We, we then get in harmony with the Lord. So even a, an ordinary person who's not so schooled in Shastra and maybe not so uh, intellectually inclined, can still understand, oh, who's the perfect ruler? Someone like the sun, someone like the moon. That's the perfect ruler, because those are the rulers that the creator of the universe has set for us. And if, my, if the person in front of me is not like the sun and the moon, then they're not a good ruler. And then it may look like I have an opal, but you know, I just have a little piece of one with a big blob of glass on top of it. It may look like it's a potato chip, but it's full of chemicals, and when I eat it, I'm going to get sick instead of getting healthy. It has the, that's Maya, right? That which is not. It looks like something, <laughs> but when you go to interact with it, you find that it's actually something else. So we would like to have, as far as possible in this world, genuine leadership. So a lot of our preaching, a lot of our emphasis should be not just on ignoring the world in transcendence, but also interacting with the world in a way that it becomes the way the Supreme Lord desires it. So questions, comments, corrections, additions, subtractions, chastisements. You know, it's at best, you know, picking, uh, you know, picking the lesser of the evils. I mean, unless we have someone like Tulsi Gabbard that, you know, uh, unfortunately, she's, she's, she's not a, uh, a candidate. But um, what, are, what are your thoughts? 
it's um, it's very difficult. Ideally, devotees should be participating in the voting process and be able to vote for good leaders. But the problem, as you say, is often our choices. Like when I was looking at the choices for the, the Commissioner of Agriculture, they're both propounding heavy-duty meat-eating, and I, I thought, I, I can't vote for either of these people. So my own conclusion is that it's certainly fine if devotees don't vote because they feel they don't want to be responsible for, uh, for any of the candidates getting into office. At the same time, I'm saying about Krishna's attitude that Krishna would rather have a somewhat God-conscious person who has some problems rather than someone who's opposed to the Lord even if they appear to be all together. Kind of the Apichet Sutrachero verse. Because if someone has even some degree of genuine God-consciousness, then at least to some degree they're going to be implementing the plan of the Lord. They're going to have some humility. They're going to have some dependence. And if we have choices like that, like I noticed for one of the state offices in our, our North Carolina election, it was a very clear choice between a person who was a godly person and a person who was not. You know, the somebody was really dedicated, okay, I want to dedicate my life to God, I want to dedicate my life to Scripture, and somebody who's just like, I'm going to fix all the wrongs in the world without any relation to the Supreme. So that's, that's my own personal take on it, if we have a choice where one person is at least somewhat God-conscious. But I think we should be very, very wary of heavily demoniac persons, even though they sometimes do something good. I think Duryodhan is a prime example of this. That Duryodhan was charitable. Duryodhan did some good, you know, welfare activities for the basis of the citizens. But because he was intrinsically opposed to the Lord, therefore he shouldn't have been leading the citizens. He would lead them in the wrong direction. And, you know, that each of us has to become educated in the scriptures and then look at the people that are available and see if there's anybody who has some, some God-consciousness. Prabhupada said the leader should be God-conscious. And someone said, do they have to be, you know, Iskand? He said, no. He said, mathematics is mathematics from any institution. So it's not that they have to be specifically devotees of Krishna, what to speak of, that they have to, you know, belong to a particular <laughs> sampradaya. Uh, but... The, some awareness of God, some idea of being responsible to God. And ideally, we can get involved in the political process such that we help get candidates who are God-conscious. You know, I mean, I wonder how many devotees in America voted in the primaries. And, and really made propaganda in the primaries. We had a rare situation where the devotee of Krishna was, was a possible candidate. Of course, you know, it's a, it's a long discussion. We had uh, a lot of the media seemed to be prejudiced against it. But to try to get those sort of candidates up there even as possibilities. 
I know of a number of places in the world where devotees themselves have gotten involved in government. Uh, generally, it's kind of at a lower level that they're on a city council or even they become mayor of a city. I don't know any devotees who are in a, a very high position in government. But that would be ideal too. Thank you. I know it's a tough question, but I know devotees are thinking about it. So we really yeah. appreciate your take yeah. on it. I was thinking of the, the word ruler as uh, also we have like one foot rulers, you know, so at one time did the ruler uh, word used to mean like the standard that you measure other things to if there's a connection between the word ruler and the controller and the standard and I don't know. That's Great question. Sounds like dictionary. A dictionary well, question. Sometimes they're, they're also a little corrupted, but I was just thinking how the, the evolution of the idea of the standard, like the king can do no wrong, you know, that's whatever standards he sets as the whole world uh, pursues. So, and then gradually as evolution and how different things come into play, then it, it takes on its own a separate definition gets its own number in the dictionary mm. for a different definition of the same word but you could see that um, originally you know the supreme controller the ruler the, they're all it's all related at, at a certain point very nice thank you any other thoughts I have some questions, but are not exactly related to this class. Okay, well, generally Prabhupada asked that we have questions related to the class. He said otherwise thinking things can go on unlimitedly. So, that was Jula Prabhupada's own, and he stated that, that generally people should ask questions related to the class. Okay, thank you. Okay, so... <laughs> Anybody else? Any questions or comments or insights? Could you expand on uh, the uh, idea that uh, we should look to nature to see God's plan, how the laws are? I liked what you had to say. Uh, I, I was just wondering if there's more, that the laws of God are the laws of nature. Yeah, I mean, that's something we could definitely talk about for quite some time. But, you know, what we should eat, what we should wear, how we should live. The whole ashram system, ashram dharma, is completely connected to human biology. You know, to be studying when you're young, then to get married and have a career in, in the prime of life, to retire at midlife, to prepare for death at the end of life. That's totally related to, to nature and biology. Uh, if we look at the concept of, of Varna Dharma, that there's different organs in the body that have different functions. The lungs don't do the function of the heart, and the muscles don't do the, the function of the circulatory system, that there's different systems that harmonize together, and that even though our bodies were originally one undifferentiated cell, and then, you know, a group of undifferentiated cells that they differentiate into different organs with different functions that cooperate together. 
so this is another way that we can understand how to live. Another thing we see in nature uh, is variety. So I was picking marigolds yesterday for my worship. On one marigold plant, no two flowers have exactly the same coloring. That's kind of astonishing. I mean, some of the marigolds were more red, some were more orange, some were kind of a reddish-orange, some were more yellow. On the same plant, and on the same plant, each leaf is different. That, you know, homogeneity is not the will and the plan of God. It's not, we don't find that in nature. We find variety. And trying to make everyone the same or trying to make everyone agree with everyone else is doomed to failure. It's more a question of respecting how everyone's personality and everyone's desire and everyone's propensity work together to create something that's harmonious rather than to force everyone into a mold. And looking at the variety also is very much against a factory model of manufacturing. This concept of sameness. Yes, I know it makes things cheaper and I know it means that you can easily get a replacement part, but it destroys the soul of, the, of craft and of beauty in society and it destroys the, the pleasure of the shudras. And as the shudras are in the majority in the society, the fact that one is destroying the pleasure and the harmony of the shudras has a huge impact on all of society. It also destroys the, the beauty that surrounds us in our own life when everything's made in a factory. And it destroys the, a lot of the rasa that we have, uh, that we normally have with things that are works of art. So those are just some simple examples. But, uh, you know, the, the cycle of, of birth and death and how one, the death of a living, of some creature provides the life for another creature. That that there, there's nothing bad. You know, we think of birth, we celebrate birthdays and we mourn death days, but actually everything has its place and everything has its beauty. And when the destruction of one thing is meant for the good of something else. Also, we learn from the Lord how to destroy things, how to, how to make things so that when they're destroyed, they bring life. The way we live in modern society is the destruction of things causes more destruction. You throw away your plastic, this and that, and all it causes is more pain and destruction for everything. Whereas if you throw away your wooden this or that, then it is going to be in a position to give life. So there's so many things we could get. All right, I should end here today. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. Shilaprabhupada, please.